Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. You can find us at bandlibrary.com, Twitter at Band Library, and wherever else librarians get together. Sometimes that's bars. You ever wonder about that little old lady stamping books? Wonder if she ever cuts loose? Her and her husband get into the peppermint snobs. Break out the handcuffs, start doing the weird shit on the weekends. Neither do I. But now that I've put that image in your head, next time you go to the library, it'll be a different occasion, won't it? My name is S.D. Harker, librarian and writer. You can find me on Twitter at BandWriter. If you want to help out the library, if you like what we do here on their little Bullshit, you can become a friend of the library over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash bandlibrary. There's a bunch of stuff on there, and I'll keep putting a bunch more stuff up there. Including all this stuff in one succinct feed that I believe is longer than the hundred episodes you get on the main feed, so do what you gotta do. It's been an interesting week at the library. We wrapped up Band Books Week. 2019, just to put a date stamp on this bad boy, it was pretty good. Like I said last week, Brenda did some weird shit where she was like covering all the books, paper, and writing why they are. She extended that a little bit too much, got a little too into it, was doing that with actual people. Told her, Brenda, you can't wrap people in paper. And she said, well, what am I supposed to do for Christmas? I don't even know how to respond to that. The hell, my circulation librarian is wrapping people in or giving them out for she into some kind of like... I'm not even going to get into that. she giving people away? Shit. Maybe we... Maybe we should pay more attention to Brenda and what she's up to. Teresa's doing well. If you're curious what... She's been up to our page. Tried to steer her away from Brenda. Tell her not to go down into Dave's IT shack. Whatever the hell he calls that. Little mesh of wire in the basement that has all the servers in it. I just tell her don't go down there. Just shelve. Do what you gotta do. Still looking for a reference librarian. That's an ongoing issue. Ever since the director... Went missing and I took over his position. There's just, it's been a little wacky. But hopefully things will work out. And if I don't mention it, it's because mostly I forgot about it. There's a lot of stuff that goes around here. We are having a new back to fall falling program. Some people like to have those trust falls, but we here at the library figure, why not just have a safe place where you can just crash to the floor under your own weight. I'm sure you could do that anywhere, but here people will watch you do it and laugh. Desensitize you to all those times you trip in public. And speaking of desensitization, I guess, today we're going to be talking about Dirty Harry, 1971 movie starring Clint Eastwood, directed by Don Siegel, who a lot of people said was just too fucking violent. When I say a lot of people, I mean most people. Although if you watch it now, it's kind of quaint. 
Sure, there's some of the stuff that it gets into, but I can honestly think this pairs really well with that new Joker movie coming out. Same sort of complaints are being had. What if it, you know, what if people go out and try to emulate what this asshole's doing? And honestly, I'll probably bring this up a couple of times in our little review here, but if you watch Dirty Harry, the first one, it's pretty much The Dark Knight. Which, both films revolve around a cop doing whatever he has to do, or a law enforcer, I guess is the best way to say that, doing whatever the hell he wants to do to catch the bad guy. And the bad guy is kind of a megalomaniacal genius. And just killing people. He just wants to kill people. He just wants to hurt. There are several times where he has money and he turns it away. Remind you of anybody? Joker-like? Except Joker's the extreme version of this. This is supposed to be the quote-unquote realistic version. 70s, they were all about it. But before we talk more about this movie, let's talk about Don Siegel, the director himself. He was born in 1912 in Chicago, Illinois. His Father, Samuel Siegel, is a mandolin virtuoso. So we've learned something new. There are virtuosos for every instrument, and the mandolin is one. Don went to school in New York. Sorry, Mr. Siegel went to school in New York. Graduated from Jesus College, Cambridge, England. Studied in Paris, and then decided, fuck it, I want to make movies in Los Angeles. He was hired at the Warner Warner Brothers Film Library and worked there as the head of the montage department as he got more and more into the area, directing thousands of different montages. If you don't know what a montage is, well, he directed the beginning of Casablanca, where you see all the different little vignettes and scenes, the maps telling you where things are, what they do. If you're still not sure what a montage is, watch Rocky IV, because it's 90% of that music, or movie. It's just music with shit underneath it, parts of you know, showing people doing things. That's the, that's the sort of definition I guess you could take. In 1945, he directed two shorts that won him Academy Awards and really cemented that this kid is an up-and-coming director. 1948 to 1953, he married actress Vivica Linvers. I'm going to say they had a son. 1956, he directed Invasion of the Body Snatcher. One of his most legendary works. By this time, he'd been divorced from Vivica. In 1957, married Doe Evadon, a former model and actress. The two of them had four children together before they divorced in 1975. He made five films with Clint Eastwood, all commercial and financial successes that sort of bankrolled his more arthouse sensibilities. Sam Peckinpah worked at worked with him as a dialogue coach for five different movies before going off making his own movies. This is where he learned the realism. 25 years after they worked together, well, Peckinpah became sort of a difficult person to work with. Nobody wanted to, so Siegel gave him another job. An uncredited work on Jinxed, 1982, one of Siegel's last movies. Peckinpah was, you know, just grateful for the work, I guess. Mr. Siegel died age 78 from cancer in his home in California, survived by his last wife, Carol Rydall. It's just a fascinating life, 1912 to 83, I think. I didn't even look up when he died. But yeah, a good long life of a pretty much a genius guy. 
making his way through. Just great. I enjoyed it. Of course, 1970-71 is when we really started talking about Dirty Harry. Let's get into Dirty Harry itself. It did drew on the real-life actions of the Zodiac Killer who killed without remorse, terrorizing Southern California around the time, or middle of California, San Francisco area, the Bay Area, whatever you want to call it. And, of course, the direct reference is the killer's name is Scorpio, which is Zodiac Scorpio. You get it. The script was written by Harry and Rita Fink, a husband and wife team, and they first called it Dead Right, R-I-G-H-T. It was first set in New York, and then later scripts were set in Seattle before they finally settled on San Francisco itself. I don't know if the success of like Bullet and other San Francisco murder mysteries, hell, even Rear Windows at San Francisco City does have a, a look to it, I guess. Harry Callahan, Dirty Harry Callahan, was first offered to John Wayne and Frank Sinatra, but both turned it down because he was supposed to be an older gentleman, late 50s. Robert Mitchum, Steve McQueen, and Burt Lancaster were all also looked at. In a 1980 interview, George C. Scott, not talking to Playboy magazine, said he was offered, but he turned it down because of all the violence in it. The rights were sold to ABC Television because nobody could get it made, but they thought it was too violent. They were going to try to make a TV movie out of it. So they sold it off to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, once again, wanted to put Frank Sinatra in the, in the lead. But when he wouldn't do it, and a couple other ones including um, Irvin Kirshner and John Milius. I'm horrible with these names when I read them. They were all supposed to be together, but when Frank dropped out, Irvin Kirshner followed out, and John Milius' script, who claims his script was like crazy violent, and I'll get to that a little bit later, and if I don't, somebody on Twitter remind me and I'll say what happened there. They also got a script version of it from Terrence Malick. But when... Like I said, it was Domino's. Frank Sinatra left and everybody else sort of left with it. And they finally decided, eh, let's go with younger actors. This is where Steve McQueen came in, but he didn't want to do it because he'd already done Bullet and didn't want to do another quote-unquote cop movie. And everybody else was either moral or violence. Paul Newman, he got offered the role, but he thought it was a little too right-wing. Cop going out and just killing bad guys because they were bad guys. But he's like, uh, this guy, Clint Eastwood, uh, that's, that's pretty much his bag. He's all about it. And Clint read it, apparently. Saw all the different scripts for it. But really liked the first one and said, I'll do it if we can do this original script. Now, for the role of Scorpio, they wanted somebody that didn't look like a traditional villain. The first person that was kind of hilarious, I kind of wish this had happened, Audie Murphy. If you don't know who Audie Murphy is, he was a film star. He made a couple movies. One, his first one, I believe, was based on his real life. Because his real life is damn crazy. The man was barely five feet tall, but somehow got put into the army, I believe, and is credited for many kills, including, I believe he helped fire off a burning tank at one point and hold down a whole division of Nazis. It's crazy. Look up Audie Murphy's story. But he was supposed to be in it and was reading the script. Unfortunately, died. Plane crash. James Kahn was looked at to be the 
part of the role before they finally settled on Andy Robinson. He was an unknown stage actor, but he had a face like a choir boy, they said. And Robinson, unfortunately, was a pacifist. And he hated violence and never used guns before. So every time he tried to use the guns, he'd like flinch and stuff. So they had to get him training to be desensitized to the guns. Thought that was kind of funny. And Robinson himself went into an actual backstory for Scorpio. Because Scorpio is just sort of this madman that comes out of nowhere. Reigns terror on San Francisco for a few days. He said Scorpio was a Vietnam vet who was shaped by, you know, his experiences with violence and then came back over here and was rejected and dumped into society. So he said he just went insane. Which, again, is another theory behind the Christopher Nolan's Joker that he's a war veteran who went crazy, saw soldiers being blown up. And decided to come back and show the politicians what was really going on in those areas that they shape. I thought that was kind of an interesting, this is all just very interesting parallels. Eastwood did most of his stunts, directed the suicide jumper scene, if you've ever seen that. And the ending badge scene where he like tosses it out, it was an homage to High Noon. Even though he, Eastwood didn't really understand it. He thought, he thought it was Dirty Harry who I'm going to call Dirty from now on, because I think it's funny. He thought it was Dirty, you know, quitting the force. Like, he's gone through all this nonsense, so he's quitting. And the director had to sit inside and go, no, it's not him quitting. It's him rejecting the law and order of society. That he's just going to do what he wants with his badge from now on, even if it means throwing it away. Symbolic and all that. The movie was shot around San Francisco and Marin County all so his actual places that they're shot, and you can definitely tell a lot of the shots that they do give, and I'll point out a couple of them as I go, where they, they extensive use of helicopters. So they're actually in the place that you can see. You can see the two people, and they pull back, and there's actually one scene where it almost looks like they're using models because they pull back so wide that it just, no way they could get that close in this landscape look that real. But apparently it is. There's many debates after the release of the movie, police brutality, if it's an anti-feminist movie, there's no women in this movie, hardly at all, and the ones that are are pretty naked, and of course violence itself, should the police be gunning people down in the streets, or should we show people gun people down in the streets, is that an accurate representation of life, are these things that people might emulate, you know, the usual violence arguments. It got pretty okay critical reviews. Ebert and Siskel. Ebert gave it three stars. Siskel gave it four stars. Both of them saying it was just a really masterpiece with something to say. It was nominated for the Edgar Allan Poe Awards for Best Motion Picture. And for 1971, it was the fourth highest grossing film. Earned about $36 million in the U.S. on a $4 million budget. So Dirty Harry itself was a success. It was followed by four sequels. I probably won't talk about many of them. In 2008, Empire Magazine selected it as one of the 500 greatest movies of all time, and it regularly makes for those greatest lists. Currently holds a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it still holds up. And I'll go ahead and throw my two cents in here. It does. 
Dirty Harry holds up as a pretty effective movie. Again, once you see the seeds of it, once you watch it, it really does have the... It doesn't have the spectacle of the Dark Knight trilogy, but it definitely... You know, a man taking the law into his own hands, going against, you know, titanic figures. It's definitely there. In 2012, it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant, unquote. Because, yeah, if you really think about it, go back. We don't have, we have tons of movies now of, you know, the guy, the wrong guy in the wrong time. Or the, the superhero guy who takes control of, it's Batman, it's Iron Man. It's the rich guy, or the just the guy with power, who decides to wield that power as he sees fit. Not as, you know, someone legally would allow them to. Takes the law in his own hands kind of thing. This is the first one to really do that, to make it popular. To make this archetype popular outside of a Western setting. Because you always had the sheriff out there, but he was the only law. Here, well, Dirty Harry is the only law. So let's actually delve into the movie itself, why don't we? We start off with a, well, a wall of tribute to fallen officers in San Francisco. And that shot leads us to a sniper sitting on a high rise. And he's looking through his little scope and he's got, there's a woman on the rooftop across from him. She's also swimming. And this is also one of those feminist things, apparently, you know, feminist things, but you get it. Most of the women, this is pretty up there with most of the women in this film have very skimpy clothing or none at all. And this bathing suit is right up there. And we watch as he shoots her, kills her dead in her pool, and the blood slowly escapes as he escapes. Dirty Harry called to the scene. We don't get a lot of talking, mostly, you know, there's the body, there's the thing. But we see Harry work through the problem, and we follow him as he walks around the pool, looks up around to the building, goes down to the street level, walks across to the other building, goes up there, looks around, finds a shell casing, sees where the violence happened. We see him working through the problem, which pretty good for since we're going to be following him. And like I said, very Joker, starting off at a high rise. You know, something of crime happening above the city. Now, all our actions are going to be happening above where this is going around. And as we cut to the mayor, played great by, oh, damn it, can never remember his name, but he was the guy from Animal House, and he's done a couple others. Because we also have a note that Scorpio has left. He'll kill one person a day if he doesn't get $100,000. His next is, well, he drops an N-bomb, black guy, or a Catholic priest. And they're going over what this means. And there's real subtle acting, actually, by Eastwood, who is normally like a block of wood. But as he's sitting there, just trying to do his job in front of the mayor, tell the mayor what's going on, what they're doing about it, his lieutenant keeps talking over him, and he just sort of Kind of shrugs it off after a little while and just stops. Till he's asked a question. And finally, they point out, hey, there's not going to be another one of those incidents. And he says, well, 
I kind of thought this was funny. If I see a naked man with a butcher knife and a hard on chasing a woman down an alley, I'm going to shoot her. Not think he's collecting for the Red Cross. And the mayor goes, but he's got a good point. So apparently there was a, a shooting also that Dirty Harry Callahan has been involved in. But justifiable. Someone else was in danger that time. So we can sort of also, after seeing his detective style, that we can see his judgment in this little throwaway story about what happened. And then he just goes and gets something to eat. Because, hey, that's what you do. And we learn that he, he's a creature of habit. Dirty Harry is. Gets to the hot dog stand. And the guy says, give me the usual. And he says, the usual lunch or the usual dinner? He says, surprise me, they're the same. What's the difference? So he's eating the hot dog and he starts asking the guy, hey, is that the bank that's across the street? Is there a is that car still waiting out front? And the hot dog guy says, yeah. He says, well, shit. Hey, could you call it in? Say there's a bank robbery happening. Guy says, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden, the alarms start going off. And Harry's got a bite of hot dog. And he's like, god damn it. And he takes out his 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. And he goes out there. And the three guys come rolling out of the street. They all got automatic weapons on them. So he just starts gunning them down right there in the street. And here's where the one thing I will talk about gun violence in this movie. It is very prominent. But... As far as I can remember, outside of Scorpio and Dirty Harry, they're the only two that actually connect or shoot people. Everybody else just sort of waves their guns around that I can remember. Some cops get some shots off, but that's about it. But of course, he guns them all down. Oh, this is another thing. The gun that he uses is a super powerful handgun. It really is one of the most powerful handguns in the world. And there's a reason... Fucking cops don't use this gun. There's a reason why you should not use this gun for home protection. Well, there's a couple. One is the recoil's bitch. Like, it's really hard to control. You fire that sucker off and it's just gonna... It's gonna kick back pretty hard. Which means it's gonna take more time for you to side in and if you need to get another shot off. And, well, it's really fucking powerful. And you might think, yeah, I want something powerful that'll gun a guy down. But guess what? Even if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you shoot a burglar... 44 Magnum handgun, that goddamn bullet's going to go out, it's going to exit the bad guy, it's going to go through your window, and it's going to go over to little Susie's window across the street, and it'll plug her in the head too, and now you've killed two people. That's the problem. It's got stopping power of people, and there's a term for it, I forget, but the bullets themselves don't fucking stop. They're just little freight trains that just keep going until they decide not to anymore. That's not a good thing to have. That's why police don't use them. It's fucking useless. And it could hurt other people that you don't intend to hurt. It's gun violence. It's stupid. But anyway, this is also where we get the do I feel lucky. And he does the whole thing and the guy gives up. Not going to reach for his shotgun. So he says, okay. And the guy, using a pretty stereotypical black voice for San Francisco, I thought, I gots to know. It's really horrible. And this is where we get an interesting line where Dirty Harry brings up the gun again to shoot. And I didn't count, but from what I've read on a lot of things, he fires off five bullets, right? This is another thing that shows Dirty Harry's smart. He has fired off five bullets from what, I can, what I've read. I didn't count them, but, you know, trust people. But then, before he pulls the trigger on another one, 
The gun works two ways. If you pull the trigger, it pulls the hammer back and slams it down. Or you can pull the uh, the action back, the, the hammer back yourself, which rotates the cylinder all by itself. So even if you had a live round ready to go, if you pulled the trigger, by cocking the hammer back, he's rotated his cylinder to an empty one because he's only got six shots in there, if that makes any sense. So it also shows a little bit more about Dirty Harry being kind of a callous and almost cruel. The way he, I got to know, and he points it at him like he's going to shoot the dude. Jude freaks out for a second. And then we get a, I guess we're not that racist after all, black doctor who talks like, basically, have you ever heard Eddie Murphy do a white voice that's very stereotypical? That's what this one sort of is. It's kind of creepy. So I don't know if they were trying to balance or just show people that are not people if this is just a comic farce. I don't know. But it just, everybody that's not Dirty Harry comes off either as an idiot or a, just a weirdo. And of course, because you have to, because you can't just have Dirty Harry wandering around by himself, his lieutenant calls him in and says, you're going to be with Chico now. And of course, he gets a new partner, Chico, because all the other ones are either dead or wounded, which I thought was kind of funny. And then we get asked, why? Why is Dirty so dirty? And we get a long list in the crime lab about all the different races that Dirty Harry hates equally. So there's one reason. And then Scorpio, we cut back to him, and he's going to sniper a couple other people, but they've got helicopters roaming around, and he zeroes in on this gay couple, and we see him sort of panic when he loses the gay couple, but it's got a black guy in it, so that fulfills the quota, so he's going to kill him, but then all of a sudden, there comes a helicopter. Somehow they lose him, he runs away, but, well, it's going to work out. Dirty and Chico are driving around, and they spot a guy with a tan suitcase, that's what the sniper rifle was in when Scorpio put it all together. And they get on top, or they get up somewhere, and they runs into a building, so they chase him down, and Harry, not wanting to follow the guy in, just see where he's going, sees a light come on, he's like, ooh, maybe that's his apartment. So he peeks himself up, and watches this guy and this girl make out, and again, woman's just a sex object. She's topless through a lot of this scene. And again, this is a scene of Dirty just being dirty. Maybe, I think he's called Dirty because he's a porn addict because he's just about to watch these guys, you know, get get it on when a bunch of neighborhood guys are like, what the fuck are you doing? Start beating the shit out of him and Chico has to save him. And then, as they're going, Dirty's like, fuck this, I'm going home. But then, there's a suicide. So he goes and he's the only one around, I guess. The only inspector. Which also, this is one of the first movies to show the inspector homicide unit of the San Francisco Police Department. Because they're not called detectives, they're called inspectors. I I just thought that was an interesting little note. He's going to commit suicide. They thought it was Scorpio up on the roof, but it turns out it was just a suicide. So they called in Dirty, but Dirty says, fuck it, I'll handle it. And this is the whole scene that was done by Clint Eastwood. But he got in that thing and he gets carried up there and he's hanging from the bucket. And he's like, hey, what are you going to do up here? You know, if you're going to jump, just fucking, if you jump, you're going to be squishy. So go ahead and give me your name and information so I don't have to look all this shit up. And the guy's like, fuck you. And he goes to swing at him. 
Dirty Harry knocks him out and carries him down. Does him dirty jobs. That's another reason he gets his... They call me for all the dirty jobs. And they figure Scorpio's going to go back to the original roof where they saw him at because he's a creature of habit. And he killed a 10-year-old black boy. So he's going to go across from... That first vantage point was also across from a church. So he's going to kill a church. Kill a guy at the church. So they go up there, him and Dirty Harry and Chico, and they've got a couple helicopters around. It's going to work. And Dirty decides to be a peeping Tom and stare at this woman that's undressing. And he almost misses Scorpio, who then walks out on the roof. Nobody business. And they have a shootout with a machine gun. Chico holds a lamp on the dark roof because this is all happening at night. But Scorpio gets away, killing police officer. Now the, it's ramping up. Next day, they get a note. Scorpio's kidnapped and buried a girl. If he doesn't get $200,000 this time... She'll die. And Dirty, he's going to be our bag man. He's going to carry the money. So they put a mic on him. He ties a knife to his leg. Scorpio, he basically has to run all around. He has to go from on foot from one ringing telephone to another. And they go all around with Chico listening in and so they know where to go. There's a weird scene with some kids necking. I don't really know what that's about. But Scorpio catches up to Dirty, beats him half to death, almost gets a machine gun in him, but gets a switchblade, that knife that he had on his leg, gets that in. Chico gets shot by that machine gun when he comes and tries to help. And there is the best villain death. I don't know if you can look it up on YouTube. Not death, but hurt, where Scorpio just looks to the heavens and just does this, whoa. It's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen a bad guy do. And he runs off and goes to a clinic to get his leg picked up and of course the clinic has been alerted hey dude might have issues and they hey yeah we know the guy he comes in there all the time for some reason he lives over at the stadium so we get a slow stadium chase as dirty goes into there starts looking around he finally shoots zodiac in the leg catches him this is a great one of those pull shots they're in the middle of the stadium they pull back and you see san francisco but it Almost looks fake. It almost looks like a composite shot. But it's or I could almost tell it's real. And they find the girl, of course, because he's told he's caught. Scorpio is. They pull her out and she's dead. She was dead the whole time, no matter if they delivered the money or not. And there's another beautiful shot of the Golden Gate Bridge, because it's they pulled her out right next to it. and of course she's dead, naked. She has to be naked, right? She's been raped. Scorpio is that kind of guy. He's crazy. But then, meeting with the district attorney, we learn that Scorpio goes free. All the civil rights in the world that Scorpio had were, well, Dirty violated damn near every one of them. There's no search warrant. There was torture involved because he was, like, kicking at him while he was down. So, Scorpio goes free. Dirty. Dirty's pissed. Dirty starts following Scorpio around now that they know who he is. They follow him from a playground to a titty bar again. More naked women. I did come up with a funny joke in my own head at this point. Clint follows. You know, the movie It Follows, but with Clint Eastwood just following you around. That'd terrify the shit out of me. That'd be a horrible movie. I mean, it'd be a horrifying movie. Probably be pretty good. Who knows? Could be a new director's project, though. 
But then Scorpio goes to this another black guy. He gives him $200 and he says, yeah, I want it all. And the guy says, are you sure you want it all? He says, yeah, I want it all. And the guy proceeds to beat the shit out of him. And then he blames Dirty for it. Goes on the news. Says, yeah, Dirty Callahan, he did it. And Dirty's sitting there going, I didn't fucking beat him up. It's not a thing I would do. He looks too good. If he would have beaten him up, it would have been worse. And they meet up with Chico and Chico's like, yeah, fuck this. And Chico's wife is like, yeah, I don't like him being a cop either. He's not going to go back. And Dirty's like, yeah, my wife felt the same way. Chico's wife is like, again, I don't even know her name. It's Chico's wife. Says, oh, yeah, what happened to your wife? And Dirty's like, oh, yeah, she died. Car accident, drunk driver. Yeah, fuck her. <laughs> or fuck the guy, whatever. And it's, it's a sad story. So, of course, he hates criminals or anybody who breaks the law. Then Scorpio goes into a liquor store. He says, oh, you must get robbed a lot. And the guy says, oh, yeah. So we know that Scorpio gets his research. He says, oh, yeah, now I got a gun. The guy pulls out a gun. Scorpio beats the shit out of him and takes the gun. Next we see Scorpio going into a school bus. Hijacks it. Leads the kids to sing as he starts screaming, you know, fucking sing. And it pans back. This is another good shot where it pans out of the school bus and we just see it driving along until the singing slowly goes out of, goes away. It's a good shot. Mayor's office freaking out. They've got kidnapped kids, but they don't know what's happening. Scorpio calls up, demands a jet. Dirty's like, fuck y'all. I'm gonna go get this. They're like, you can't go get this, Dirty. And he says, ah, you don't call me Dirty for nothing. And there's long shots of the bus driving around. And one kid sort of notices, like, we're not fucking going home. I want to go home. Scorpio's like, fuck your home. And slaps the shit out of him to sing. And starts screaming as the kids start freaking out. Sing or I'll kill all your mothers. Which, I thought was a, was a hell of a line right there. And then we turn the corner and there's Dirty. Somehow found the school bus. I get, he was supposed to deliver money or something. I can't remember. But he's like on this bridge. And it's this really cool fucking shot. You got to give him that. Again, it's a very Batman shot. Where it's just fucking dirty Harry standing on a bridge. Waiting for him to pass under. And as that bus passes under, he jumps on the roof. And Scorpio starts shooting on the roof. Driving. He, at this point, he's knocked out the driver. And he's driving himself. And he crashes the bus. And runs into a... Gravel factory, because of course he does. And there's some more shooting. At one point, they get on like the conveyors with the rocks going to and fro. Place is very maze-like. I'm wondering how Scorpio knows they get around, not getting himself into a corner. A lot of weird offices like that in those type of buildings. But of course, Scorpio gets out, escapes from Dirty. Dirty chases him until apparently at this quarry, there's just a kid with a pole fishing you know like you do and when we pan back it's a weird place to fish because it's like 20 feet down to the water from the dock why is there a dock in this tiny i don't know any of this but anyway there's a kid fishing so of course scorpio grabs the kid and you know come any closer i'll shoot him so dirty shoots the fucker gets him in the shoulder then goes up and gets him again you know you feel lucky most powerful handgun you know all those speech. 
Although I really thought this is where he said make my day, but apparently that's in the sequel. And he shoots the dude. And this is where we have the the scene we talked about earlier where he pulls out the badge and he takes it off his little thing because he doesn't want to ruin up his identification card. He just takes the metal badge out and he tosses it in the water. He's like, you know, fuck your law. I don't need this. We pan back and this is where we get the shot of the water in the quarry and everything. And it's that lone figure and the dead guy in the water. And you're like, oh, shit, yeah. Dirty fucking Harry. That's where the movie ends. Again, this is well worth a watch. Actually, if you like crime cinema, the message it takes is bad, but it's also the same message as like Batman. So you really can't say a whole lot about how Dirty Harry does his job because if you like basically any other superhero who takes the law into their own hands, hell, even Spider-Man, it is pretty much Dirty Harry. But we're not talking about it because it's a good movie. We're talking about it because it was banned. 1972 in Finland. Violence and mental health issues. The distributor was like, what the fuck are you doing? Everybody likes this goddamn movie. And they went to the Finnish Supreme Administrative Court. And they ruled against the banning. Like, yeah, there's nothing. And there really isn't nothing that violent. There's a lot of gun violence. but And a couple people like dying. But not like... That could almost be it. That there's a desensitization to it. There's not a lot of scenes where just dead people are lying around and you see the repercussions of killing someone. Dirty Harry has no problems killing someone. Only Chico himself is actually the only one that has problems and he's almost seen as weak. It's kind of messed up. But anyway, uh, the Finnish Supreme Court ruled against the banning. After some cuts, they banned it again. There was a second round of court cases. Again, the distributor won. And the... They had to allow it to be out, but only after, and they were like, okay, we will, but only after they cut about three minutes, and it didn't premiere there until January 1973. So that's that's the interesting history of Finland and Dirty Harry. I thought it was fascinating. They just kept like, no. Okay, what if we cut it a little bit? What if we go to the Supreme Court and they tell you, oh, no. Okay, finally. What about now? I'm like, okay, I guess. Two years after a movie came out, a year and a half, somewhere in there. But anyway, that's where this movie, well, that's where this episode will end. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.